Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 80. We've got an awesome interview today with a guy who started with a few used tools in his parents' basement and has now turned it into a full-scale custom furniture business and sawmill operation. Paul Lemiski is the man behind Canadian Woodworks, and he talks with us today about picking his own path and growing his business with used equipment, a passion for woodworking, and riding trends that he sees. He also shares with us the importance of proper pricing and the stages that he's been through with his custom-built rocking chairs. Paul is one of the OGs of Instagram, starting out in the dark ages of 2012, and since being featured on Instagram's blog, has grown his following to 372,000-plus followers. His second account, Legacy Lumber, is nothing to bulk at either, with a strong following of 57,000 followers. Paul's business journey has been a long one, filled with tons of experience, and we are super pumped to bring it all to you guys. Absolutely. Some great tidbits in this interview. Without further ado, here's our interview with Paul Lemiski from Canadian Woodworks. All right, guys, welcome back to another interview. We are excited to have another Canadian. The Canadians are always killing it today. Our first interview of 2019, we have Paul Lemiski from Canadian Woodworks all the way up just north of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Paul, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, man, we've, we've been uh, huge followers of yours. It, you know, you've, you've been on the Instagram game for a long, long time, as, as long as I've been doing it, I know. And you were one of the first guys I was like, oh, these slabs are amazing. So <laughs> I know we'll definitely be talking about some Instagram and and uh, really just talking about what you've done with Canadian Woodworks and the things you've learned along the way, man. But we're, we're excited, dude. You, you do have the honor of being the first interview of 2019. So uh, we're ready to get going. We took a little break, but we're back. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You mentioned I've been on Instagram for a while. Uh, I'm an OG, I guess. 2012 <laughs> is... Uh, 2012. Nice. Yeah. I hit it on 2013. So yeah. So that's before Facebook owned them. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah. I even forgot about that. I thought that was like, yeah, right. Because they, they no. bought them uh, after that. So yeah, you were definitely an OG back. I have a few screenshots like, yeah, like the user interface was just like total. It was like windows 95, you know, it's like all, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like all blocky and, uh, it really looks funny compared to the way it is now. Do you, but that's awesome, man. We're, we're excited to talk to you today. Um, and, and what we start, you know, so some people might not know who you are and, um, would you give us just a quick, you know, five minute, uh, you know, hey, this is Canadian Woodworks, how long I've been in the business, you know, what your business is, and uh, just a quick overview, and then we'll kind of dive into it and go different directions as we get going. Awesome. Yeah, no worries. So uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Paul Lemiski from Canadian Woodworks, and uh, I'll give the whole story, I guess. Always, how do you start woodworking or whatever you do? I got to throw it back to a great high school teacher. Um, we had a great wood shop. And I was able to pretty much build stuff during the summer and through the shop and not really have a job in high school. 
So just building Muskoka chairs and, and this and that kind of thing. Um, I then got into something totally unrelated. I installed car audio systems, alarms, remote starters, all that kind of stuff. Anything electrical in a vehicle, we, I had a store for uh, five years. Then massive change in my life. We had a, a government audit, actually, and uh, we forced to close the business pretty much. And from there, I had a little time off. I then went on Amazon and just went uh, top 10 woodworking books. Bought a few of them. You know, George Nakashima, uh, Carpenter, Tag Freed, and a Sam Maloof book. The Sam Maloof book is what changed my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam Maloof Woodworker, the one with the maroon cover. And I fell in love. I read the book three, four times right through, right off the bat. So as most people do, they get the bug. They're like, hey, I want to I want to build a rocking chair. Keep in mind, I didn't have a shop. I had nothing. <laughs> I had uh, great start. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I had a rigid planer, a rigid table saw. And I started going on Kijiji, which is local online classifieds. I picked up a 12-inch joiner and built my shop from there. Um, I learned that you could get templates and videos on how to build the chair from uh, various sources. I researched a few different ones. Charles Brock, Hal Taylor, um, Scott Morrison. That's another one, too. And I went with the Hal Taylor ones because of the flexible back supports. And from there, I just started building my shop as well as heirloom quality rocking chairs that took you hundreds of hours to build so uh <laughs> i gave my first one to my grandpa i was already hooked i had a pile of wood sitting there for my next one and a, a friend of mine came by and offered to buy it and wasn't charging obviously ten thousand bucks a chair but i was charging enough to pay a little bit of my time cover my materials and help me grow my shop i think that's how we all do it we invest a lot of the initial money from projects in, in tools. Um, 10 yeah. years, 10 years. I'm still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> so from there, I've built 78 rocking chairs now. Wow. And about a hundred hours a chair. Uh, I consider myself a master when I'm, when I have a hundred chairs, 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. I've done 50 plus bar stools, few dining chair sets, all in the Maloof style. I expanded right away knowing I wasn't just going to do rocking chairs. So I got into bar stools and dining chairs. But from there, I drew all the templates myself. Um, Obviously, influenced by Sam Maloof, influenced by Hal Taylor, Scott Morrison. It's hard not to stare at all that stuff and, and not draw similar stuff. It's just the way it goes. Uh, but I'm pretty proud that I, I dried it on a side of plywood, made the template, and then did that eight times, and then had a good chair. <laughs> the first chairs didn't end up so good. Um, then I just, I enjoyed sharing what I was doing. So right off the bat, I kind of just set up the camera on a time lapse, took some video, I would upload it to YouTube and do a little voiceover, and f- and people watched it. Not insane amounts of people, but people watched it and I got feedback and I, I really enjoyed sharing what I was doing, which 
I think is the, the backbone of where I am now. Um, even to this day, we're still sharing everything. You know, before we started this interview, it's like, do you want to not talk about certain things or whatever? It's like, everything's on, everything's open. I talk about everything I do. I'm happy if somebody can take some knowledge that I passed along, build their own business or build their own chair, you know, for, as their hobby. It, that's fantastic. That's probably the most rewarding, rewarding thing about this all. Um, I then started hearing about Instagram. Imagine that you didn't even, didn't even know what it was. This is 2012. And, um, basically I joined it because I was this woodworker. I'm out on a country farm. I don't see anybody really. I, I remember listening to three Joe Rogan podcasts in a row, you know, without being interrupted while building my chairs, doing whatever I need to do. So the outlet of Instagram was so awesome to be able to post a picture. They didn't have video. They didn't have story time. It right. was just a picture. And I was heavy into my chair work, my bar stools and, and rocking chairs. Um, and instant feedback, you know, thanks for sharing, you know, uh, how'd you do that? You get to answer, interact. Not only that, I could follow other woodworkers from around the world that were inspiring to me. Like ones I would look at making me think I'm not even a woodworker. <laughs> Just this <laughs> incredible work being done by so many people. And Instagram has allowed all these people to connect basically and have a voice. So I was one of the very first ones and completely doing it for fun. Not thinking about business, not thinking about you know, growing jobs or selling stuff over it or anything like that, just for the, sh just wanting to share and interact. Um, I got very lucky. I had decent following and then Dan from Instagram gives me a call and they're like, Hey, we want to feature you on our blog. I was like, yeah, okay, that's amazing. I got featured on their blog the next day. My phone literally exploded like <laughs> I had not never been part of something like this where I went from 2000 followers up to 10,000 in 24 hours that rules. and back in in 2012 or 2013 when that was like that's insane mm -hmm. um, yeah that was like half of Instagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally exactly yeah uh you got so many that you started losing some so it gave me a little bit of a foothold when I first started on Instagram but I just continued sharing um, basically what I do on a daily basis. I think Instagram was initially, it's really changed a lot since uh, it started where when it was first came out, it was all about just capturing in the moment, posting that picture and kind of moving on. So uh, that's what I did. And if you look at my feed, I haven't done many giveaways or like, like this post and follow that and, this kind of thing where my feed is like a hundred percent organic people choosing to follow me. I'm just now starting to do those uh, giveaway kind of things more because I'm in a position to give away cool stuff to my followers. And right. if I can, if I can help out some new woodworkers or uh, you know, some, some tools, some wood, some clothing, anything like that uh, I'm down with the giveaways too. Yeah, that's um, and and I'll just jump in and just kind of dive in because I think this is a great topic of 
of the Instagram and how you got going. Like when, when did you see that? So you got, you know, a early initial foothold, which is awesome. Like, was that like after you were there and you're like, Oh man, I got 10,000 followers. Like, and people started asking you like, Hey, where'd you buy that? Or can I buy one? Like it, did it start that early as far as you starting to convert that into the business or was that still later? Through Instagram was a little more difficult because there was no links or anything like that. But I had always linked to Amazon stuff through my YouTube descriptions. Again, not making thousands of dollars, but a couple hundred bucks a month helps out when you don't have a shop and you need a set of chisels. uh, That little bit of income (laughs) helps out. So I hit the 10,000 followers and I just I stayed the course. I continued posting as I was posting. Uh, what happened was I then I'm trying to think now, you know what happened? Instagram put in the top post. They didn't have that before. Yeah. 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 So you would search whatever hashtag and then it would show the top nine in that hashtag. I remember those days. Yeah. So because I was, I had a good bump, I had a good bump right off the back. So when I posted, I would get a lot of likes and my stuff was a lot of the time in the top nine. So from there, it snowballed some more, grew, grew, grew. And then my major uh, next step on Instagram was, I guess, what you would call a viral video. I would have videos with hundreds of thousands of views over days or weeks. I posted, um, I don't know if you guys seen it, you probably have, where I zap the serving boards with 4,000 volts. From a microwave yeah, like transformer? The, yeah, Lichtenberg uh, burning. That's correct. The Lichtenberg figures. So I had done that a few years earlier, just playing around for an electrician friend. And when I was making up some serving boards for the one of a kind show that I did, a friend of mine here, he's like, hey, man, what happened to that burning thing you did? That was so cool. Like, let's let's do it on some serving boards. We'll show it on Instagram. I bet you you'll sell a lot. I was like, yeah, OK, OK, that sounds cool. So basically on top of a pizza box in a completely unsafe environment, here we are smashing a microwave, ripping out a transformer, brushing on some water, and uh, we zapped the video. I posted it, and within one day was a million views on my own feed. And I was just like blown away, blown away, blown away. I had nothing on my online store at that time for sale. I only really sold rocking chairs, bar stools, yeah. big expensive things that were ordered and took a long time to make. I wasn't really, I didn't dedicate much time to making money or an income from like cutting boards or, or an iPod stand, anything like that. Um, I love making those things. I just didn't focus on that as my, uh, as my income. So the video went viral. I literally had 8,000 people on my Shopify site the next day and I didn't sell anything because I had nothing to sell. (laughs) (laughs) So that that was kind of the moment where you thought like, (laughs) right. So that was the moment where you're like, oh, wow. Like (laughs) this is a, this is a sales funnel. A mad 8,000. That is, that is huge. That is mad. I mean, even for a content creator, let alone a product that, you know, Mm -hmm. 8,000, hits of, of people coming and even that, you know, the conversion, like, you know, you could have sold uh, a lot of them, obviously. So like after that, was that like, all right, let's, let's get stuff listed. Let's uh, yeah, figure yeah, out I how was, to take advantage of this. 
I was doing a craft show at the time called the One of a Kind Show in Toronto. It's the only show I did. It's 11 days. So this viral video went maybe halfway through the show and all my serv- I were down there. I was selling stuff down there. So I wasn't even able to put anything online for a week or something. I finally get home. I work till 2 a.m. I finish a batch of 15 of them. As I'm posting them and I click, I click uh, you know, make it active on Shopify, I walk to my next one, sold. I was like, wow, okay. Take pictures, post the next one up, boom, hit it. Literally sold within five seconds. As soon as it went on my site, I was like, so the 15 I sold in, in like five minutes or whatever, however fast I could put it up. From December 8th to January 28th, we sold $28,000 in serving boards. That rules. That rolls out um, like, supply and demand, right? I mean, well, you created such a buzz around something so cool. Um, I love hearing how that was easily able to transfer. A lot of us struggle with that stuff. Yeah, totally. And that's where being the self-employed guy, you guys have said it before, you put in twice the time, you're going to get twice the reward. If you're working at somewhere else, it, it's not like that. So I was working until 2, 4 a.m., uh, just pounding out serving boards. It was crazy. We didn't know how to ship stuff. We didn't know about boxes, shipping labels, anything. And it was just uh, (laughs) an insane crash course. It was like little Santa's workshop here, just jamming serving boards. Now, Uh, Paul, when was this? This would have been, I can't remember the year. It would have been two years ago, three winters ago. Okay, so like the the holiday season of like 2016. Yeah, that sounds right. Gotcha. That sounds right. So, and that that's interesting to see. So, and we just did an episode. We just, uh, well, we one of the questions on our Q and A that we just launched today was about uh, Shopify. So it's interesting to hear that yeah, you did the the Shopify route, and people are trying to figure out how to sell online. And that's you know, that's a very common thing. Like people are like, how do I how do you know I want to sell online? And most people like yourself. Uh, who are doing larger pieces, you know, like rocking chairs and things. It's like, yeah, you know, you, you would never really put that online because you probably, because the item is such high demand and such a long time to make that that's not really the type of product that does well on online. It's like serving boards. So it's really, it's really cool to hear that coming on the heels of, of those uh, question is like, it's a, it's a whole nother beast, right? And you got to figure out the shipping and, and all that stuff and packaging. And I, you know, I still do it. Like I just do little stuff like, uh, I used to do cutting boards and things, but now it's more just, you know, T-shirts and hats and stickers. But I, I still don't have that process down. Like you said, you know, it's like, all right, what, what, what are the box? Like, what are the box sizes? And how do I not just even like printing out the labels, you know, like so did, were you doing that or did you have somebody helping you or were you just like printing all those? Then you're trying to filter out the invoice, you know, the packing lists versus the shipping labels and making sure everything gets in the right box was was that uh, you are, you know, at that time, like, tell us a little bit more about the the business. Like, how many people did you have on board? When did you start bringing those folks on and to help you with kind of stuff like that or just building in general? So at that time, um, I had been woodworking for five or six years by myself. Then I met my now wife. She quit her job. She was with me for about a year, helping out with sanding, finishing, a little bit of a gopher, get stuff. During the the serving board explosion of 2016, I had one employee, Steve, and 
a lot of friends. <laughs> so you're exactly right. At first, it's just printing off the labels, which was not good at all. Shopify, incredibly helpful. We just went on there. We got the label printer. It's amazing. Push the fulfill button, prints the label, sends an email to the customer. As soon as that gets scanned at the post office, gets another email automatically sent to the customer. So it was a crash course, but we learned pretty quick. And Shopify really, really helps you along along the lines of uh, what to do. Just recently, we talk about uh, different income streams. So I have obviously furniture. I have the serving boards. And another good, uh, decent revenue stream is I sell my own templates as well as uh, I'm actually not going to sell how-to videos. I think I'm just going to post them on YouTube. But basically, I have templates and a how-to manual that I sell. I just recently decided to put the digital version of the templates on. So people would buy them and then we would email them to them. Well, that took five, ten minutes to do. I just Google search Shopify, you know, download file. I read for five minutes and now when people, boom, buy the Barstool template, an email gets automatically sent with a download link and you're good to go. So I highly recommend Shopify as a platform. Uh, The analytics are incredible and I find it very easy to use, definitely. Yeah, I was using Shopify for a while and that's my like preferred uh, platform too. If I wasn't uh, like hosting on my you know, own website kind of thing. Uh, and it just does make things so easy. My my last business before I was full-time woodworking, we did a bunch of little merch and, and one-off items and, and Shopify was fantastic. I do see the, <laughs> it is super ironic because literally as we were recording this, Brad and I launched last week's episode and we dove, dove pretty solid and in, into this topic, answering one of our patron questions. So glad to hear a obviously amazing uh, uh, story from yourself on someone who's actually in it right now, still in it, still grinding it out. Um, so I kind of want to take a step back because what happens in in the community, I, I see a ton is that you'll find someone who does something on Instagram like yourself, right? And being an early mover um, and an innovator, uh, quote unquote, you know, with this, um, I see you call them high voltage uh, serving boards, you know, a lot of people see opportunity to jump in the market and undercut pricing, right? And I'm, and I'm sure you see that all the time. And as I'm on your website right now, I mean, you're priced very properly. Um, and the boards, are, <laughs> well, the boards are beautiful. Um, and, and and I think that that's something you know vitally important to talk about when you're doing these small items, right? Because if you were doing these boards, right, and say you were selling them for 80 to 100 bucks a pop, it wouldn't even be close to worth your time, right? You know I mean, because there's so many little individual aspects and pieces and things that go into it. Um, t- tell us a bit about, you know, how you got to the the point, because you, you probably hit it where you decide, you know, hey, if we're going to do these boards, they're going to be high end. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be priced on the higher side. They're moving like hotcakes. We're going to build the brand around Canadian Woodworks and around the value of purchasing something from us compared to just trying to flood the market space with these products that no one else is doing. Because we see a lot of people try to get into it, say with cutting boards, who will jump into it, throw up an Etsy store and see all the pricing being at a certain place and just hope that their products stand out. Um, just tell us a little bit about that process for you because I think it's vitally important to anyone's moving small goods. So for pricing, I guess that's being 
being a maker, selling what you're doing for a while, the experience to know the pricing. I like it's been 10 years and really I didn't sell a serving board till six or seven years in. So you understand uh, the process, the amount of work to go from that raw piece of lumber to that finished uh, whatever you're making that you want to be proud of, that you want your customer to be happy. Um, it takes a lot of little steps, like you just mentioned, John. It's 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 one thing to make one serving board also and be like, yeah, that's great. I'm super proud of that. But to do it at scale and sell 100 or 500 of them in a year, that's a whole nother ball game too to, to decide upon. So I always was taught um, by my previous kind of mentors, I guess, in business or whatever, that it, specifically in woodworking, if you don't ask, you won't get it. I get constantly asked about pricing my work, pricing this, pricing that. And I always say, you got to charge what you feel like it's worth. And you can always go down. You, you, can't, you can't go up really. So... Yeah. The pricing is always an interesting one to me because I feel like you should understand your own time, your own material, your shop, and then understand what you should be charging for it, I guess. It's just really actually thinking about it instead of just picking a price. Like you said, if you want to go on Etsy and just look at everyone else's prices and you're going to gauge your product on that, that's not the right way to do it. You need to be making your product, understanding your costs, understanding your own quality of your products and then price it out to where it should be. Um, yeah. yeah. How did that work for you at the beginning, Paul, as far as, because uh, that is, I mean, that is probably the biggest question we get asked about, you know, how do I price it and that people struggle with doing that. But like on the rocking chair side, you know, even, um, and, and I guess maybe that's a little easier in the sense that those are going to command higher prices anyway, because it's such a, like you said, it's an heirloom quality, just super nice piece of work. Like once you, you know, you sold your, you made your first one, for your grandpa and you sold your next one to your friend like like how did that progression did were you able to fit into that pretty quickly like that you were able to establish like obviously making very high quality chairs and starting to do your own templates that it was now this unique thing and people were willing to pay the price that you thought was available or did you you know was that a struggle that same that you just talked about on the small serving side how did that look in your rocking chair side when you first got started for the rocking chairs and also when I started in general, I was fortunate. I had my previous business, my car audio business, and pretty much it was a growing business. Everything went well with it, but whatever money we brought in, we spent. So I learned about overhead uh, over those five years, crash course in the, in the business and overhead by running my own business. So for my woodworking, when I started, I was in my mom's basement. Like I said, rigid tools, all used tools. So I kept my overhead, my costs very low. I told myself I was going to charge 2,500 up until rocking chair number 10. So gave away my first one from there. Every other chair was 2,500 bucks. Um, and that wasn't because I didn't feel the chair wasn't worth more. I knew my skills were evolving and I felt like by chair number 10, the quality of the piece demands that price tag of $5,000. I'm now around 6,000. It ranges depending on the wood, six to 9,000 bucks, depending on the wood and whatnot for a rocking chair. But I feel like 
the quality of the product is what sets the price for me. Um, Cause I knew when I built my first one, you, you know, as a woodworker, you say, Oh, that's wrong. This is that. Oh, I could have done <laughs> that better. And, and I was like that with my first chairs, they looked beautiful to the regular person. They thought it was a perfect masterpiece, but you know, you're the builder, you're the crafter of the product. So you, you, you know, the behind the scenes. And I just felt, I needed to improve my own skills to produce that product that could demand that price. I then started going to the one of a kind show in Toronto with just rocking chairs and bar stools. And uh, I would sell a few. It was very good. I started off the first year borrowing money to pay for the show. Then I would do the show, sell a couple things, be busy for six months, pay back that money halfway through the year. Then the next year it was like, I only needed to borrow half the money for the show. Then by the third or fourth show, I was uh, prepaying for the show. So it was a slow go with constant reinvestment in, into the company. And um, I just really feel for pricing, the quality of the product for me is what, uh, what, can, what demands the price. Oh, see, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And that's something that uh, I tend to have a sort of, a biased opinion on when it comes to pricing and selling custom work and and I get the question all the time on proper pricing and you know Brad and I have a pricing guide here on the show uh, that helps people you know understand markup and margin like you were just talking about and you had a five-year crash course with that you know most of us don't get to go through it so understanding yeah. that initially and then also realizing that by doing a higher quality um, you know joint or for instance using higher quality woods you can dictate a higher quality product especially uh, when it comes to the end sale with the price, um, it's hugely valuable to any small business, right? That's where you're really gonna start to see some jumps in, in that margin and jumps in profitability of your products. Um, and when you start to sell more of them, that's where you can start to bring your prices down in other aspects of the business, for instance, raw materials, right? So for you, I mean, lots of walnut product, right? I mean, uh, the Maloof Rocker is kind of uh, known in the walnut um look and that's kind of like what it's famous for so i'm just gonna assume that you get a ton of inquiries for a walnut rocker um so you know either buying or like i think you've partially done and vertically in, vertically integrating the raw material process is really where the business can start to make some money so uh, take us through that process for yourself a little bit because i uh, you know starting to swing a little bit into the the deeper dive into the business and, and how it works um you know uh, you guys are running a mill right i mean there's you brought the wood in-house instead of purchasing like you, you used to do back in the day, right? Yeah. So my brother is a, I, I say he's a real logger. He's out in the bush, <laughs> you know, selective harvesting uh, hundreds of thousands of board feet. When I was in high school, he had a partner that had a wood miser and I would work during the summer at the log yard. Uh, I've always been one to kind of absorb information, ask questions. His partner had already been sawmilling for 20 years. I spent 10 hours a day there. The mill had no hydraulics. Paul was the hydraulics. I rolled the log. I clamped the log. <laughs> you know, so you learned how to saw lumber. You knew how to handle lumber. And then Lee knew so much about wood that uh, I learned so much about grain and tension and drying and all that stuff. So that was during high school while I was just in shop class. I've retained that knowledge. And when I was about... Uh, Two years in or so, I got a load of walnut logs 
from a tree service company. We hired in a local sawmill, sawmilled it all up, sent it out, got it dried. And that was my walnut for like three years. That was all my chairs, like every piece. It was 3,000 board feet, got mostly eight quarter cut. So another way I kept the cost downs, fortunate through my brother to know the, know the connections to, to find, the, find the trees. I don't get many trees from him, but he has the connections to the tree service companies to introduce me to them. So then I moved, I, I grew, I moved my shop up to my dad's farm. I mean, I was in a bigger building and then I had the opportunity to buy 5,000 board feet, a whole log truck of walnut, bought the whole log truck. The walnut logs came to my place. I didn't want to hire somebody in. I wanted to get my own sawmill, but I really couldn't afford it. I just, again, watch Kijiji, watched out for those used, uh, used tools and I got a 1992 wood miser uh, for like 8,000 bucks. It's a little, little rough around the edges, but she cuts some wood, no problem. Uh, I cut up my own wood. I had a cruddy little kiln that I used a home dehumidifier, wrecked a bunch of those. Then I found a real lumber kiln on, on Kijiji again. It's crazy how much I buy uh, on Kijiji. Anyways, saving crazy money, right? The kiln that I bought for four grand, brand new, was twelve grand. So it's it it really uh, you can save some money that way. Then I used that kiln for a while, and this was specifically for my own wood. I didn't plan to sell anything. I was also cutting live edge. Live edge wasn't like it is now. It wasn't like massive. It wasn't like everything's live edge. So the reason I was doing it was for my chair parts. My leg template would follow the curve of the grain, and I could. I could really pick sap lines and grain orientation when you have the slab. It's so much better. Anyways, I cut a bunch of wood. Of course, you have too much. You don't need it all. And I just started selling some. And from there, I just I grew the lumber company. It, it turned into furniture and maybe 20% was lumber sales to kind of supplement building the business again. All, again, always back into the, into the business. Uh, so that's where the, the lumber thing comes from. And it's now it's exploded two years ago. Um, I decided to purchase a vacuum kiln. Do you guys know much about how those work? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, mostly from watching you and your <laughs> process of, of doing it. Cause that's, and that's so not to, not to jump in, but so you all, you also started another account around that time, right? The legacy lumber account and yeah. And that is a separate from your Canadian Woodworks. And that is all about documenting the process of that, right? So if people do want to see that, you definitely go check out Legacy Lumber on Instagram because he talks through it. But yeah, that was like, I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah, it's like the dehumidification kilns versus the, you know, the, the heating kilns, this, all this. I was like, oh my gosh, this looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I put that to one of my reasons. My Instagram grew a lot too, because say in the morning, I'm sawmilling a log. Then in the afternoon, I'm fitting a Maloof joint. I was uh, very diversified in my content. So I decided at that point to have a second uh, feed just because I was generating so much content. And I didn't want my Canadian Woodworks to be like all sawmilling, all lumber kind of thing. I, I mix it up a little bit still, but uh, that's exactly right. I started my legacy lumber feed. The vacuum kiln came and a super quick rundown of how the vacuum kiln works is that you pull all the oxygen out of the chamber, you're able to boil water at much lower temperatures, 
and you're able to dry wood much quicker with better quality. As an example, say three inch thick walnut, which the proper way is an inch per year of air drying and then kiln it for four to six months. So you have a three, three year process, let's call it that. I can do that in about uh, 14 days. <laughs> that's, that, that's, a, that's a good efficiency <laughs> like on, a nice upgrade <laughs> on that note i'm just gonna tap out and go cry uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys oh dude that's awesome and, uh, I, and i think it's fantastic how like brad and i touched on in an episode earlier this fall on 10 percent pivots in the business right to add additional revenue streams and as you've discussed yeah, yeah. this journey you know it, that's literally essentially what you've done you've gone from just making chairs to a slight pivot, making stools and 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 uh, making excuse me, starting out with rockers, then to making chairs and, and making stools, and then to bringing your uh, you know scraps into the say uh, serving board business. You know, small pivots here and there. You didn't just drop everything and and start doing you know custom metal fabrication, uh, which is making, but a whole different world to go into. So I love hearing about these small ten percent turns. And by doing so, you get to hone in on what's actually making money for your business, right? So, like, what point did you realize, like, the slab furniture and chairs were, like, going to be what's hammering at home for you? Because I think that a lot of our listeners, and especially small businesses, struggle by doing absolutely everything just because you can't. You know, like, I'm sure you can build literally any plan that they put in front of you as a woodworker right now. But when it comes to business, right? You want to be building the things you're fast and most efficient at in order to make enough money to sustain uh, that overhead and those costs. I mean, we, we see a lot of smaller businesses struggle with bringing on, say, chairs, a dining table, a credenza, a bar, you know, doing a, a, a wall or a sign. And then they get all this stuff going on. And it's also different that their processes, you know, get really, really skewed. That was uh good but bad problem that I had. I would say yes to everyone. I sharpened mm-hmm. people's blades. I uh, I would do anything and everything for anyone. And actually, that was one of the harder things to do, to learn how to say no and, and pick the path and pick the things that you wanted to work on. Like I had realized it was mostly woodworkers following me on Instagram. So I thought, hey, I could make my own templates and plans and probably people would buy them because I have the viewers, I have the audience to do that. So you have to say no to other things on on the on the left side to pick your path going down the right side, pretty much. And and yeah, kind of you got to understand at some point uh, it's always a balance of making money and having fun. For me, uh, if if I'm not having fun, I'm not doing any of this. <laughs> I'll live on the street. But uh, <laughs> it's got to be fun for everything that I do. So and I think that shows by my willingness to share and, and uh, just everything that I do pretty much. I lost my train of thought. Yeah, of it, that's I, I tell you what. But and, and Paul, so it, like if and I'm sorry we, if we're talking over you a little bit here, the connection's a little bit bad. But uh, it, with your with your account. So like, you know, if just going on, if people are going and looking at their feed, I know at, at some point in here with the slabs and things like that you you also will do some some slab you know top tabletops you'll do like where are you at when did that come into the business as well because that is you know as you're slabbing that's a super easy and it's again not you know like slabbing lumber 
and then making a slab tabletop is very right. That, that that's very an easy transition because it's like okay, this thing that I just took off the mill, I'm gonna freshen it up, you know. It, and there's there's very little processing as far as joinery, right? You might be doing some inlays or something like that to shore up some cracks or or whatever, some bow ties. Uh, was was that once you started milling your own and you started getting your slabs that you started getting the demand for that? And so again, you you said, hey, look, this is a really good way to to go in because you know i've seen you do some just especially with the with the sawmill you have which is so huge that you can do some really unique slab tables because of how big of a of a log you can cut was was that about the same time that those came through that you started getting into that or was that kind of before that as well so the progression there would be the wood miser that can cut 28 inches wide if you're lucky i decided to cut the mill in half and make it so I could cut 42 inches. So when I was first cutting my own lumber, I did start doing a few tables, but they're four or five boards glued together. Cut my sawmill in half, now all of a sudden I can cut 40 inch wide and I can book match boards to uh, make up these tables. And also it's more desirable lumber to sell, which is fantastic obviously. Now here's the problem, the wider you go, the harder it is to dry. You're going to have more warp. You're going to have more twist. So I started cutting 40 inch wide slabs on my wood miser, sticking them in my DH kiln. And if it was three inches thick, I'd flatten it to an inch and a half, literally throwing away half the wood. So that was a bit of a head scratcher. Had to decide a little bit how to pivot there. So from there, that was a major choice of the vacuum kiln that we have. Um, It has a hydraulic press that will hold that slab basically dead flat. I've had 16 foot Mm. long material, 36 inches wide that we cut at two and a half inches and we flattened it to two and a quarter. Like, come on. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I hated the waste factor of, of my progression was normal lumber, normal drying. Everything is fine. Start cutting these big pieces of wood, try and dry it normally. You you start losing a lot, 30%, 50% waste factor. Then the vacuum kiln came in. I kept with the wood miser. I kept cutting. We started drying that wood. We're like, this is great. We're drying it with good quality. It's staying flat. But now we have these logs that are 60 inches wide. How do we cut those? We then uh, basically on a piece of paper showed a local metal company a couple wood miser videos, a couple of this and that. I drew the plans up for the sawmill uh, with a little help from the... Uh, actual metal metal guys of course but uh yeah we had the beast of a sawmill fabricated which is very similar to matt cremona's so again yep. if anyone's going to listen to this and be like yeah i want to build your sawmill go check out matt cremona he just released like insanely detailed plans on how to build uh virtually this virtually the same sawmill pretty pretty odd like incredible i've been following that process i'm sure you guys have too absolutely uh, so it's, it's everything. It's, you got to be able to move that log. You got to be able to cut the log. You got to be able to dry it efficiently. Then your next step comes in. I thought I'm a small company. I'm not in a big warehouse. And when I say small company, I mean a couple guys, a couple people working. So when you start having these multi hundred pound slabs that are whatever long and ever, I was thinking about how to flatten them. And then I went from a router sled to a kind of a hand-built CNC that I never put motors on. And then I, I, 
I pulled the trigger on the CNC router parts uh, surfacer that you guys see. Mm-hmm. I was, I think, one of the first to kind of go that route and know that was that was the the game changer, I guess, in flattening that that type of slab. So I called them up. I got a beautiful uh, 16 foot long, 72 inch wide CNC that we can then surface <laughs> it uh, surface it on. So as I started growing the machinery, I was able to produce the lumber again, back to the quality of lumber also, which made me want to then, uh, get those customers to build those tables. The market has kind of driven, uh, a lot of directions of mine. I like to have fun, do cool stuff. And then from there, the market kind of sees that and then, directs me which way to go kind of thing. I don't know. It's hard to, it's kind of hard to explain, but I just started cutting big slabs. So people wanted to buy slab tables. That's the simplest way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You cut it and they will buy. I and mean, that's, that's like <laughs> the field of dreams. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Then you got a, an eight foot by 16 foot, uh, uh, CNC that will kind of, or oh, 72, not sorry. Six foot by sixteen yeah. foot. That's that is uh, absolutely ridiculous and massive. Uh, I'll be dreaming about that tonight. But uh, <laughs> and I I love I mean I love this whole idea of 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 picking your path and going and you the part of your your story that I think is so cool is like everything that you've talked about is like little incremental changes. Like John said, the ten percent changes is like upgrading this, going to the next one, and it's not uh, like you know the vacuum kiln. I mean I I think. Or you call another, and I don't know the pricing, but I'm wanting to say that you know those are thirty or forty thousand dollars, right? These are not cheap machines or pieces of equipment. And but like what you said is like you know you could look at that and see like well I'm wasting fifty percent of the material or twenty five percent of the material, yeah. and now when I don't do that, like so you know I think getting into and again like going piece by piece and just picking and choosing where it makes sense and then seeing all your inefficiencies and then figuring out how to solve them, even if it means a big investment, which I'm sure has probably already paid for itself in the extra, you know, the time reduction, obviously uh, an amazing time reduction. So between throughput and then quality of, of output that you're not losing all that, that product, that's, it's a a great way to, you know, that to see that you've scaled and it's been step by step by step and a lot of used, used equipment and, you know, Kijiji's your friend and, and uh, I, I love that that story because I think everybody, you know, they want to get to where you're at. And they're like, how do I get there? Well, it's like you Time. didn't get there overnight. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the step by step. And I, I love hearing how you're, you're laying that out, how you went through all the steps. You didn't go from one to 100. You know, you hit all the steps in between. It's having that passion also to go to the next step. Because not only was I throwing out half the wood and, yeah, that's going to cost money and you're not going to make money. I felt bad that I'm taking this 100, 200-year-old tree, cutting it up, and then throwing it away. Like, just the passion for the craft and for the wood, too, makes me want to build or, or, or produce a better slab, pretty much, without, without wasting that product. It's obviously monetary, but for me, it's more, I, I want to see what's inside that log. And I want to make something out of it. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I just don't want to wreck it. I don't want to, I don't want to throw it away. Um, even if it's a, it's pretty sad. Even if it's a piece of steel and I weld it wrong, it's like, I don't want to, I don't like going backwards and wasting material or, mm-hmm. or ever, ever doing that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I, I love it, man. I mean, we're all very similar. If you've uh, ever seen any of the content around Brad and mine's shops, there is drops and cutoffs absolutely everywhere. I think Brad's entire yeah. ceiling right now is just <laughs> stuffed with uh, I hate throwing lumber away. I hate oh, throwing it away, but I... But I <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've done a decent amount of slab work and stuff. And, and I hear you there, man. Like even, you know, if you're taking slab tables and you're book matching them, cutting off that live edge for the book match, you're like, Oh, I love the difference in this sapwood right here. Like, what can I use this for? And it, and it, and it gives you that, like, uh, I guess creative sort of juices, uh, to figure out a way to use it and put it into something cool. Um, and essentially try to use the entire, you know the, the entire piece there um but it, but it helps you grow as as a builder and as a woodworker and as a maker you're not just taking dimension lumber anymore and just sticking it together and making boxes essentially you're you're becoming more creative and artistic with it as you grow and uh i, I truly we we see that in your work as much as I'm, I'm sure you do as well and um it's been a massive emphasis and inspiration to us in the community as fans of what you've been doing um and, and watching your business grow here we we're <clears throat> We're always loving uh, success stories like yourself, but then getting down to the grit and hearing that you've been doing this for a long, long time. And and, and oh, with yeah. that comes all the bumps and bruises of being a small business owner. And just like Brad touched on, you know, if you are a small business owner and you are an individual looking to make strides, it does not happen overnight. It, it is something that, um, you know, it takes you uh, years and years and years of learning experience of building expertise of building experience within the business to get uh those little pivots and turns to where the business is going to take off uh they say it all the time with you know <laughs> apple and amazon google it all starts in a garage um yep. and everything you know takes time to build it's the same thing even if you're physically making stuff so um some really good tips and advice there like i'm i loved it i'm i'm, I'm looking for uh wood misers on what we call craigslist in america here to cut in yeah. half <laughs> right now because right i think that's i think that ingenuity is a part of being a small business owner especially as a maker that a lot of us um take for granted right you know if you need a tool make a tool kind of concept like you don't have to go and buy uh, a 92 inch wide bandsaw you can do the macrimony you can make one you can frankenstein one together out of a um you know out of an old wood miser you find but there's ways to get it done in order to help the business grow and get to that next stage we see a lot of small business owners who are like, hey, I made a chunk on a job and I want to buy this brand new piece of machinery that is yeah. for sale on the floor at my local, you know, my local store. Um, I'm thinking that the investment's worthwhile and you can run the numbers and that can all work out great. And that happens a lot of times. But there's so many opportunities to do stuff like you said, where you're snagging something up, used, you're putting it to work, you're changing out of gears or you're putting a helical head in a joiner or you're, you know, re yeah. you're retooling the bearings or whatever. Um, it's just been super impressive to hear your journey and how much of the grit actually goes into it because you don't get to see all that in content. Here's some time. numbers for you. My uh, jointer planer, you guys know what I'm talking about, the big beast, mm -hmm. 10,000 yep. pounds, 60 horsepower. That machine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, brand new, how much do you think it is? Oh, gosh. It's got to be tw got... 20 plus. Yeah, I was going to say 35, $40,000 U.S., <laughs> US. Oh wow. It's sitting right beside a wide belt sander. That's a hundred and seventy thousand dollars brand new. Uh yeah. the machine. So what are what did you get them for? Literally off Kijiji. <laughs> those were an auction. Both machines from an auction, forty two thousand dollars. <laughs> Solid. 
Auctions and, are great. Uh, that's that was me saving for a long time. Honestly, that uh, that was a down payment from my wife for a house for you know for for our, we I live in my dad's basement. <laughs> my house is those two machines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a dedication to your business too. You can't. Uh, I've heard of certain guys pulling out lots and lots of money out of the business and and their business doesn't grow and I see them the same three four years later and they're and they see me they're like so many things have changed around here you're really growing and that's also the dedication on uh on keeping the money in the business you know mm-hmm. as a woodworker you there's always there's always the next thing I guess but it doesn't have to be the shiny new thing if you can find it used it'll let you buy three or four dusty dented things instead of that one shiny thing basically that is such a huge thing because i i think that uh especially in the woodworking space that uh there are so many marketing and advertising dollars and you know and some of those are spent with john and i about showing brand new shiny machines right and and we all love brand new shiny machines uh because they're you know they're 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 sexy and that's why they're brand new and shiny like that they're meant to appeal visually as well as just of what they can do uh, but as a, as a business owner, right, it, it doesn't always make sense to buy that brand new one, especially when you can get the more industrial versions. Cause like what you're talking about, I mean, those are all over the place here in the States as well. Like, you know, auctions where unfortunately, you know, a lot of these cabinet shops and millwork shops are going out of business yeah. and, uh, you know, that those are, are out there. And so as, as these doors are shutting and, uh, as, you know, there's this equipment out there. There's surplus sales and auctions all over the place. And there's, you know, whole websites uh, that are only about auctions and, and you know, the government auctions and, you know, a lot of uh, school systems. And, and the other thing, as as these schools, I know I've seen a ton of them when I was, uh, when I used to live in Ohio, they, there was, it was more prevalent up there where there's woodworking shops and high schools uh, and even middle schools. And then as those shut down, you know, they, they sell those off in auction. So that's an absolutely a, a gold mine for those industrial higher end, you know, when you're talking like really big things that you can, um, you know, really <clears throat> get some good high quality production out of. So, yeah. you know, a 20 inch, a 36 inch plane or whatever, like, you know, cause that, that changes the game when you can plane a slab, you know, versus having to necessarily like drum sand it or something or put it through the, the router sled or whatever it is. Um, all those bigger pieces of equipment really help your efficiency. So I'm, I'm sure like that money that you invested in those two machines, like you say, you know, it's, it's like a house payment, but uh, that's <laughs> going to pay for your actual house, right? Like that, that's like the yeah. money that you're going to make yeah. off of those is going to be the replacement. But you're willing to, and John and I talk about this all the time, you're willing to make the sacrifice now so that you can reap the rewards later, right? Because at some point, yeah. and it's kind of funny going back to the conversation of you upgrading, like at some point you got, you're you're going to have everything you need, right? Like you're not going to have a hundred inch planer. Like <laughs> it's like, Woo, you're, you're, you're maxed. So. <laughs> Come on, bring it on. Yeah, like I, I feel like you're getting up there, Paul. I feel like you're getting <laughs> up there. And then, and then from there, then it's just like output, right? So it's yeah. like build, build, build. You get then like, you know, at some point you, you have what you need and then, it just all pays for itself, right? And you don't have to necessarily invest, and maybe you invest in expansion in other areas. But uh, you know, I, I love that 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 you are so into the business that you're building back into it, and that you're not just taking that out and just like you know, no, like I'm going to make this until it gets, and I'm going to sacrifice because that's probably the biggest thing that I pe- think people don't understand about entrepreneurship 
is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And how much sacrifice it is in your time and your money and your, you know, like I'm gonna it live is, like yeah. nobody lives now, so I can live like nobody lives later. Like I love that that saying. Uh and you know, you're you're obviously living it. And it's not sacrifice for six months or a year or even two, five years. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a true entrepreneur, you're gonna be sacrificing your whole life. That's mm-hmm. that's it. That's the way Nailed it goes. It. Nailed it. So that's a great tip. I mean, like uh so as we wrap it up here, I mean, as we get deeper into the, the hour, you know, uh, we always, you just hit on like three, I think, huge keys, but we always love to ask our guests, you know, do you have a single piece of advice that you would give um, to small business owners or entrepreneurs or people trying to get in the makerspace or community um, as you've had so much experience? You know, what would you, what would you like to say to them? I guess I could say, and it doesn't just apply to woodworking, probably making anything. I think if you're just starting out, even though I still do it now and I want to be like happy and have fun, I think especially when you're starting out, you got to be having fun and you got to be happy. So if you like steelworking or woodworking or, or uh, you know, turning a bowl, which is obviously woodworking too, do that. Get really good at it and then try to sell that. If you can generate an income from that, you're going to be doing, you're going to be making money off of what you like to do. So my 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 greatest recommendation is have fun when you start because if you're not having fun when you start when are you going to start having fun in my my opinion there's so many different venues with the internet now you can pretty much you can make a a hand carved kitty litter tray probably and you could sell them <laughs> around the world if that's what you love to do <laughs> give it a go you know what i mean if you love your cats that much uh give it a go so uh just be happy and uh, and and let that drive you. That's awesome. Love man. that. That's a good piece of advice. I got started. I was taking on. Uh, I, I I enjoyed the craft, but I like really enjoyed certain aspects. But I was taking on anything, and it really does make you miserable. There's nothing worse than being up till two, three in the morning working on a deadline, and uh, it's on a project you just absolutely hate. So uh, I yeah. think it, I think that's a really solid piece of advice for anyone starting out or anyone young in the business. Um, that's some good stuff. And, and you've obviously been there, man. So thank you so much for, for all of your insight, dude. This has been fantastic. I can't wait to, to Frankenstein a bandsaw together. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah, Paul, awesome, awesome conversation. I know uh, the audience is going to get a lot of great nuggets from, you know, just your experience uh, over the past decade and uh, of, of building your business and at everything. So really great to hear from you, man. We really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your experience with us. Thanks. I got to say, I appreciate everyone that follows me. It's been an amazing journey from my YouTube to my Instagram. Uh, the interactions that I get daily is incredible from people saying, Hey, I love your work or being able to say, you know, help out somebody fit a joint or something like that. Having everyone follow along, it really, it's about the journey. It's not about where you're going to end up. So I appreciate everyone. Thank you. Awesome. Love it, man. Well, we appreciate it, bud. And great having you on the show. Thanks, guys. There, you know, I'm a huge Craigslist fan. And hearing how Paul basically built his entire business off Kijiji and auctions is so cool. I love his business model. 
and how Paul's been able to grow his business just so methodically. Yeah, I loved hearing how gritty his whole journey was and, you know, talking about living in his parents' basement and growing from, you know, such a small shop to this massive barn now and about all the sacrifices he's made in his journey. It's just so cool. And I could really resonate with that. Yeah, dude, sacrifice of an entrepreneur. He hit it on the head. If you want to learn more about Paul and Canadian Woodworks, uh, as well as Legacy Lumber, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 80. We'll have links to his website, Instagram channels, and his YouTube. Yeah, and if you want to join the conversation with the MFP tribe, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash madeforprofit tribe. Tons of awesome conversation over there and engagement. That community is growing rapidly. We're absolutely loving it. And thank each and every one of you who have joined us. Absolutely. Right now, we're going to go hang out with our patrons. Uh, and if you would like to be part of that patron squad and get the after show as well as some awesome other rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. John, let's go hit the after show. Let's do it.